Say, do you have challenges in your life? Maybe difficulties in relationships, at work, or in your marriage, or with your kids? Who doesn't, right? Or maybe you have traumas from the past that just won't go away. Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Goodbye Past Hello Purpose podcast, where we provide wisdom, insight, and tools to help you overcome life's challenges and live a life of joy. I'm your host, Debbie Kaminsky, a speaker, author, and coach. Now sit back, turn up the volume, and join us because you don't want to miss what's up next. Well, hey, friends, I finally have on my podcast our rocket scientist. Remember, I talked to you way in the beginning about having a rocket scientist, a NASA rocket scientist with us. And here I have today Maureen Zapala. And Maureen was actually a University of Notre Dame graduate and a former NASA, listen to this, propulsion engineer. Okay, that's how you say rocket scientist. She is also the founder of High Altitude Strategies and addresses imposter syndrome. So we're going to learn more about what's that all about, an internal voice that says I'm not as smart as everyone thinks I am. Maureen is the author of three books, Great Speakers Are Not Born, They're Built, and Pushing Your Envelope, How Smart People Defeat Self-Doubt and Live with Bold Enthusiasm. She's also the co-author. She worked with Jack Park on a book, Buckeye Reflections, Legendary Moments from Ohio State Football. She's a speaker, a writer, and a presentation skills coach. And she has two college-age children and is an avid CrossFit fan and a decorator wannabe. A decorator (laughs) wannabe. Well, welcome, Maureen, to our podcast. Oh, gosh, thanks so much for having me. What a delight it is to be on the phone with you again. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, it's fun to have you. I'm really excited. I want to hear about this imposter syndrome. I know our our listeners do as well. Tell us, tell us what imposter syndrome is. Imposter syndrome is something, you know, it's funny, Deb, because when I speak about it, I'll, uh, early in my talk, I'll ask that question, who here has heard of imposter syndrome? And I don't know, depending on the audience, somewhere between a third to half the audience has heard of it. The other two thirds or half hasn't. But when I describe it, I can see everybody like lights go off in their head and they say, ah, yes, I know. Mm -hmm. Now I know what you're talking about. We just don't realize that it has a name, Um, but it's the secret self-doubt that usually strikes, particularly strikes uh, smart, successful, skilled people that are credentialed, degreed, influential, uh, revered, have a long list of accomplishments. Yet they are not convinced that first of all, that they are, Um, responsible for their own success, that they deserve Mm -hmm. their own success. They feel like fakes and frauds. And then they look around and they think everybody thinks I know what I'm doing and they might not realize I'm kind of winging it. And that makes me feel like a a fraud, which is where the whole, it makes them feel like an imposter, which is where the phrase imposter syndrome came from. Interesting. So interesting. So what, like, if I, if I were going through something like that, what, what would be some of the symptoms I would experience? Well, it, it's interesting when um, the, the symptoms are, there's typically, I don't know, six or seven of them that most people experience. But going back to, I'm going to take a little, little history lesson here. Back in the, I think it was in the 70s, 
there were two clinical psychologists out of Atlanta. They partnered together, two women, and they were, um, you know, they had a regular practice, a regular counseling therapy practice. And I'm not sure why, but most of their clients were high performing, intelligent, uh, successful, strong women. Okay. And these women came to, you know, for therapy and, you know, they, people come to therapy for a lot of the same reasons. They're stressed, their relationships are struggling, they're depressed, they're confused, they have financial issues, physical issues. So mm -hmm. they were treating all these women for all of these regular, normal, I need therapy issues, but they saw this pattern with, aside from the fact that they were all successful, degreed, professional, blah, blah, blah all of these women without fail felt like they didn't deserve their success. So that's where they started doing some research into what is this experience where they don't feel like they deserve this respect, this, this success. They, that's where the phrase imposter syndrome came from. These two women coined that phrase. They dug okay. deeper and started seeing patterns of symptoms. Um, so, and to call it a syndrome, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a medical health professional, um, there are people way smarter than me that have made this statement. When you say that it's a syndrome, it kind of sounds like there's a, um, a, a, a very specific scientific cause. Uh, so to call it an experience is probably more accurate because there's uh -huh. not a real specific cause, but there's a cluster of circumstances that lead to a cluster of symptoms that lead to people feeling like frauds. For example, mm -hmm. um, I, and I can speak to my own, uh, you know, my own experience. I, yeah, I was a rocket scientist at NASA, uh, mm -hmm. started there in 1983, fresh out of college. And wow. when I started, I went to University of Notre Dame, when I, which was, you know, a top shelf school. I was nowhere near the head of my class, not even close. In fact, in 1983, when I got hired at NASA, the job market was awful. It was hard to right. find a job. Oh, the eighties! It was terrible. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and so I took this position. I was shocked that they hired me because nobody was hiring. Um, but right. when I started, I thought, "Oh my gosh, NASA! This is like where all the smart people are." Didn't they see my transcript? Oh, didn't they? Sure. Didn't they realize that I'm not a straight A student? What no. were they thinking when they hired me? <laughs> so I walked in with this immediate like sense of. Um, substandardness, like I'm not going to measure up. And then, uh, and, you know, through, I was there for 14 years and I did fine. I really did because I, well, I was, yeah, but weren't you, didn't you say you were the first, you, you told me that you were the first female and the youngest female manager of NASA's system, uh, laboratory in yeah, it Cleveland, was, right? Yeah, it was, it was one of the test labs in, in Cleveland. It was propulsion systems lab, which is a jet engine yeah. facility, which actually was the first the first test facility, first and only test facility I worked in, I was there for my, um, short of about three or four months where I had a temporary position in another place. But that was in this research lab, this jet engine research lab for, you know, almost the whole 14 years that I was there, 13 years that I was there. But uh -huh. um, going back to the symptoms and what I experienced. So first of all, I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm not as smart as everybody thinks I am. Secondly, I felt um, that in order to I felt like I had to prove myself. So I felt like I had to work so hard. Mm. I felt like I had to work harder than everybody. Everybody else seemed to have an easier time of it. I, that was my perception. I Isn't that around. so funny? We all feel that same thing. Oh yeah, but... we do. <laughs> we think we're the only ones feeling it. Yeah. It's, you know, but what I didn't 
realize at the time was um, the people that I was working with had already been there for 15 years. So for them, things were easier. Mm-hmm. They, they were they, past that piece. They were past that. Yeah. You know, I couldn't even find the coffee pot in the bathroom. You know, they were past <laughs> that chapter. <laughs> you know, they had 15 years of propulsion research yeah. in their back pocket and I didn't. Mm-hmm. Yet I was trying to equate myself with them. And of course, I fell far short. So I felt like mm-hmm. I had to prove myself, work really hard. Right. Um, but on the flip side, another symptom is uh, almost the opposite where you're so almost so familiar with the work but there's an element of the work that might be unfamiliar or challenging or different and you fear not being able to repeat the success so instead of overworking you procrastinate so Mm -hmm. overworking and procrastinating are two bookend symptoms of imposter Mm -hmm. syndrome and it's not the procrastinating of oh my gosh, I hate doing the laundry. I don't want to do the laundry. It's the procrastination of, I'm not sure exactly how to do it. So I'm going to go do something that I know how to do. (laughs) So it's kind of a delayed avoidance kind of thing. Delay avoidance. And you're talking about any position are you talking about work you're talking about as a wife are you talking about is that what like no this this would be typically this would be typically in uh, professional situations because people that are struck with imposter syndrome aside from them being you know successful and skilled it tends to hit people in very specific industries or very specific uh, vocations Um, really oh yeah it'll hit People that are in the STEM industry, science, technology, engineering, and math. So accountants, engineers, programmers. Oh, that's uh, so interesting. Information systems people. um, uh, Pure scientists like biologists and chemists. Uh, So it hits people in STEM. It hits people in the performing arts world. uh, Ah. In the creative worlds like designers, decorators, photographers, singers, movie actors. Um, hmm. Many people can remember uh, when Sally Field won some. I don't know which award she got. It was an mm-hmm. Academy or Oscar. I don't. I don't yeah, follow, yeah. I don't follow a lot of trends, so I don't even know if those are the same award. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. she <laughs> stood up on the lecture. She stood up on the podium, and was just gushing with joy, saying, "Wow, you like me. You really <laughs> like me." And I'm thinking. <laughs> Uh, you're Sally Field, right? Everybody (laughs) likes you. (laughs) And yet she still doubted that people liked her. She still doubted her own skill. So it, it, it affects people in the creative and performing world. Sure. Um, Sure. It affects people in fields like yours that are degreed professional certified psychologists, physicians, lawyers, CPAs, Mm -hmm. uh, for different reasons, uh, people that are in the STEM world, they fear not keeping up with the technology because it happens, you know, it, it, there's so much to know. Well, people yeah, that are in the today. Yeah. Yes. And people in the performing world feel the stress uh, because they have to create something that is just as wow as what they did yesterday. Sure. People that are in, you know, the uh, professional world, the, like the, you know, accountants, therapists, doctors, physicians, a lot of that is very interactive with people. And that brings in an element of uncertainty, like what's this person, what, you know, how is this person going to react? Uh, This person's uh, um, financial portfolio is different and their circumstances are different. 
this person's medical condition is different. Their history is, you know, maybe incomplete. I've got to, I've got to go with what I know. So there's, you know, different reasons for feeling um, not as smart as everybody thinks you are. It also hits people in um, the fourth field is the field of academics, people that are professors, researchers, uh, teaching assistants, even graduate students and people that are fresh out of college. Um, you know, we know the. <laughs> I laugh and I think, okay, I know college is supposed to prepare you for life, mm-hmm. but we have mm-hmm. this feeling that when we graduate, we're kind of like done learning and mm-hmm. we are supposed to know it all. And it's so not true. No, you know, no. Yeah. That's just the, the first step, right? It is. And I'm yeah. sure you're, you know, you know, you would agree too that, I mean, college certainly did teach you a lot of knowledge, but I think what it taught me better was to go find other knowledge that I didn't know. It taught me how to right. be resourceful. <laughs> right, exactly. For sure. Yeah, do so, more. Yeah. So to answer your question, you know, you procrastinate or over-prepare typically related to your professional world. It could very well spill over um, into your regular life. In fact, the psychology of these therapists back in the 70s found that the internal stress of imposter syndrome was causing or at least amplifying a lot of the other stressors in their regular life. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. So the symptoms are, if if you were to do just a recap on the, on the symptoms. Yeah, there's six of them. One is called um, an imposter cycle, which is where you vacillate between what I said before, um, procrastinating or over preparing. Uh Um, And part of that cycle is either whichever path you choose, procrastinate or over-prepare. And you don't do it consciously. It's almost like a, 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 an automatic response. But whichever path you choose, <clears throat> excuse me, the outcome is still amazing. You do a great job. Everybody applauds you. You feel relief, but it's not because you did a good job. It's because you thought, wow, that was close. They almost figured out I didn't know what I was doing. And then you stress <laughs> again. Because it ha- <laughs> the cycle starts all over. <laughs> sure, sure. So you get trapped in that imposter cycle. That's the first symptom. So does that um, procrastination come from, um, oh, that worked. They didn't discover me. And like, oh, do I want to put myself out there again? Yeah. Because So you're afraid. Yeah, yeah. To put yourself out there again. Like, oh, every time you have to go through that. That's so Yeah, it's a combination of actually the last two symptoms are very related. But let me go through the other ones. So the cycle was the first one. The second one is um, the need to be special or the best. These are people that are perfectionists yeah. that they can't handle anything less than perfect because I, I can't relate to that at all. Yeah, so. me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I stress out over the placement of a picture on my counter, you know, it's right? like, is that in the right place? Maybe if it was an inch to the left, it would look better against the light. You know, it's like, exactly. Oh, really? Right. And so we're not going to put it up today. We'll wait till tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, so, or uh, let's see also people that are, um, uh, uh, in related to that perfectionism is people that are, this kind of interesting I, in my research, people that are name droppers or people that need to kind of chum up with um, other celebrities or people of influence. It's almost as if they feel like their good is not good enough. So they need to partner with somebody else's uh-huh. good to make them feel good. I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People that just love to name drop or they kind of suck up to the boss or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. yeah, that kind of thing. And then the third symptom is um, 
It's called the Superman Superwoman complex. Um, whereas the perfectionist has to do everything perfectly, the Superman Superwoman has to do everything, and they have to do it alone. Oh. So this is the Lone Ranger who doesn't like to delegate. Wow. And the delegating part is kind of tricky because many of us think, well, I, I don't have time to delegate or there really isn't enough. There really isn't anybody around me to delegate with. But really at a deeper level, it's the, the thought that says, well, if I'm really that smart, I should be able to do it all myself. And if I uh -huh. ask for help, that shows weakness or character flaw. Oh, very fascinating. Yeah. Or in my case, you know, I need an assistant. I need an assistant. Uh, I keep, I keep thinking, I don't want to, I don't want to bring on an assistant, not because I don't want a trainer. Um, and not because I don't think there's somebody qualified, but it's because, wow, they're going to, if I bring on an assistant, they're going to take a look behind my curtain and going to see how messy my whole like operations are. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, I'm, that's a dirty secret. I don't want anybody to know. <laughs> right. We're not sharing that. We're, let's keep that hidden. Because it, it reflects, again, sort of related to that perfectionist of I have to give the facade that everything is okay. Right. But in reality, you know what? Bringing on an assistant can do nothing but help in many ways. It That's helps right. somebody be part of the journey, gives them, you know, gives me another person to bounce things off of, lightens my workload, provides employment and cash flow for somebody else. Really, what's the downside here, Maureen? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it really makes you a better person because you can focus on the things that you need to focus yeah. on that are important. And they can take care of some of the other stuff that really just is an energy and a time sucker, if you will. Right, exactly. Yeah. And then the fourth okay. symptom is um, the, the compulsion or the need to add uh, humor, insight, or wisdom into a conversation. Um, because sometimes we equate, we, I, I know this because I am this way, uh, you know, enter in a conversation with people that are talking about something that I don't know anything about. <laughs> and I equate my silence with stupidity and I can't yeah. tolerate that. So I feel compelled to add something gotcha. like I'll ask, well, I'll ask questions because I genuinely am interested. I like learning, but sometimes I'll throw in a totally unrelated comment just because it's funny or I'll make a obliquely related comment based on an article I read or I'll, um, you know, pull something out of my history and say, oh, I remember something that I read about that. It has nothing to do with what they're talking about, but it's not, it's not silent because uh, silent makes me feel stupid, which is a completely illegitimate and irrational thought. <laughs> right, exactly. Or I feel the need to lighten up the mood with, with humor okay. or charm somebody who is kind of crunchy. You know, I just have to work uh -huh. really hard to make them smile. Uh -huh. So it's these weird compulsions to do that. And then the fourth and then the, the fifth and sixth symptom are very related. Okay. Uh, number five is the fear of success. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, the fear of failure. Number six is the fear of success. And they're partners mm -hmm. because sometimes we think it's one when it's really the other. I mean, none of us like to fail. You know that. Right. Um, right. But people with imposter syndrome will go to Herculean efforts. Uh, to avoid failure at all costs to the point where mm -hmm. they won't even they won't go for a promotion they won't raise their hand in a meeting if they're not a hundred percent sure of the worth or value of the comment or the question they won't 
uh, step into a scary situation. They won't take up a new hobby because it's, oh, no, I'm just, I can't golf. I'll, I'll never figure out golf, so I won't try golf. Because um, wow, yeah. it will make them, you know, it makes them fear failure. Yes. But we also sometimes cloak a fear of success as a fear of failure. We'll say, no, I, I don't know that I want to take that job because I don't want to fail. But what sometimes we're really thinking is, I think I can do well in the job. I don't know if I could perpetuate it. So it's mm. like, okay, if I can't perpetuate it, I'm, you know, I, or if I get too successful, people won't like me mm, I or suppose, people will yeah. resent me or I don't yes. deserve the financial comp- comp- um, compensation that comes with success. So I'm not right. even, you know, I'm going to set my standards lower and, um, we, so it's a fear of success is really what it is. Yeah. Boy, I can relate to that fear of failure, fear of success. You don't want to step out Yeah, because mm-hmm. if you step out, you know, and, and you say something or you, it's like, people are going to look at you and go, really? What, what, what? That yeah. doesn't even relate to what we were talking mm-hmm. about. So, yeah. Oh, those are, uh, so those six mm-hmm. are the um, symptoms that we can uh, imagine I'm, I'm guessing all of us can relate to at least one well, of those. Well, and that's, yeah, and that's absolutely true. Just about everybody will experience one or two of them. And mm-hmm. just about everybody will experience all of them at any, you know, at, at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you experience four, five, or six at once consistently over the course of your every day, that's imposter syndrome. You know, the cluster together points to that imposter experience. Um, and it comes in different degrees. It, it, it could be just a irritating, like, I don't want to raise my hand in this conference meeting. Right. Or it could be a very debilitating thing where all of, you know, you cannot, you've perpetuated success, but you can't enjoy it because you're so stressed about having to repeat it or maintain it. And you're, you're working 24 seven and you're not enjoying life. You're, you, you're feeling guilty about making all this money when it interrupts the the regular enjoyment of your life. Right. That's you bring up. All oh, right. You bring up such a good point there, Maureen. Yeah. It's like, let's just enjoy the smartness that you have and the ability that you have uh, mm-hmm. in doing whatever job it is that you do, because, you know, people do bring their gifts into whatever work environment they're in. That's just typical. And, and, and it is true. And people with imposter syndrome, though, don't believe that it's them that made that success happen. They don't believe that those gifts really are theirs. They always have a yeah, but, you know, they look yes. at their own resume, they look at their own track record and they say, yeah, but I had a good team. Yeah, but I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, but the boss was in a good mood. Yeah, but the economy was, was, was in favor. I mean, they never sit down and say, my part in this was... Right. I am an expert in this. I saw the value to do that. I right. solved that problem. I brought this team together. Hard to toot your own horn. Well, it's not even a, it's not even a toot your own horn. It's not like a, a, a humility thing. Okay. It is a genuine, I don't believe it. It is a genuine cognitive ah. distortion. It's a thought pattern shift. And that's okay. the good news because you can, I mean, and you know, you're a therapist. It takes work. But right. there is a way to change your thinking. It's okay, discipline, so it's focus, it's intentional. Yeah. 
Okay. So uh, we talked a little bit, we talked about the symptoms and the effects of it. What, 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 what are the effects of it? Anything more than what you've already said? Yeah. The, the, the effects I, when I, when I discuss this with clients um, either one-on-one or with um, in an audience, you know, I realize that I have two types of people in my audience. I've got, and I'm sim- oversimplifying this, totally oversimplifying this, Okay. but I've got the worker bees mm-hmm. and I've got the bosses of the worker bees. Okay. The worker bees, the individual, the effect is um, many, th- many things that I just described. It's on a very personal level, you know, anxiety, fear of uh, advancement, feeling guilty, feeling like uh, a fraud, like you're afraid somebody's going to find you out. You won't reach for opportunities. You won't make a change, even if you're miserable. So on a personal level, those are the impact, the effects. Mm-hmm. But when I speak to the bosses of the worker bees, you know, and that's the supervisors, the CEOs, even the, the uh, you know, all the people in the higher levels of management that are looking not just at their people, but are looking at the impact of the company, the bottom line of the company, the their standing in the industry, their competitive sure. advantage. So I tell them from a systemic point, the people in your group, when they experience this, it could impact your company because, for example, uh, and, and I know this, I talked to the manufacturing company and one of their people said, when I see some flaw in the manufacturing line or a process that could be improved, I'm afraid to speak up because I know, first of all, it's going to cost company a lot of money. Right. Uh, what if I'm wrong? Right. Uh, am I understanding? Am I, am I observing things correctly? So she said, I chose to stay quiet and I realized that hurts the company. And, my, and, her, and her boss was standing there and he said, yeah, we need to know those things. <laughs> We're sending out machinery parts to, you know, the aeronautics industry that are going on aircraft that, you know, lives are at stake. So we need to hear from you. If mm-hmm. We can't have people struggling with imposter syndrome if they have an impact like that. Right, and then right. I was talking with uh, an accounting firm just a few weeks ago. And uh, the CEO there said, you know, my account um, representatives, my frontline people that are dealing face to face with our clients, we we tell them, make sure you tell your clients we have all these other services that we could offer them. Don't be afraid to offer them. I'm like, why are they afraid? Well, they could be afraid that, you know, what if they don't want it? What if it costs too much? What if I don't understand it well enough to explain it? Blah, blah, blah. So I said, if you have somebody in your in your sales force that struggles with imposter syndrome, you're losing sales because they mm-hmm. fear, you know, they feel like they maybe they don't know enough or they are not qualified or they're too new. That's why I need to work with your people so that you can build your, um, you know, increase your sales and increase your your customer offerings. So yeah. from a systemic yeah. level, it's completely a different set of uh, of experience uh, of, of um, effects. Yeah. And if we're, if we're managers, you know, like you gave the example of the person who, if she spot spotted a flaw, um, it would shut down the line, which would lose the company work. And, you know, so as a manager, we have to be careful then not to berate them if they're, if it's like, no, it is, it is okay. Uh, It it really isn't a problem. And you start up the line and you lost some money because of that. So finding that balance, I suppose, is really a challenge. Oh, yeah. I I can remember when I was at NASA, uh, one of my assignments was to, I was responsible for an infrared imaging system 
that we housed inside of a very harsh jet engine testing environment. It was right in the exit of the engine where it was 3000 degrees. We had to protect the, these infrared cameras with glass and thick glass and cooling systems and blah, blah, blah. And my goal, my responsibility was to watch the image on the camera and just report, you know, record the data and just kind of, you know, assess it. And mm -hmm. I was watching the, watching the image on the camera and all of a sudden the camera got, the, the image got really weird. It like looked like it was kind of melting. And I thought, oh, I've never seen that before. <laughs> and then huh. all these alarms started going off because oh, no. we have, we have thermocouples inside these <clears throat> enclosures. Well, the, yeah, well, what happened was that the glass, there was a crack in the glass, the exhaust fumes got into the camera uh, enclosure melted the camera so what i was watching on the gosh. screen was the camera melting oh my god <laughs> yeah so that was a ten thousand dollar mistake so we had to uh, replace the camera replace the enclosure get everything all squared away uh you know a week or so later we fire up the facility we're doing another test same set of circumstances and i'm looking at the camera and i'm thinking now i'm hypersensitive like is, is that yeah. a melting camera is that a melting camera and i saw something weird and I like immediately, I said, I think we need to shut the facility down. I think we've got another problem. And they're like, okay, fine. So we shut it all down and we go out there. There was nothing wrong. I <laughs> felt so stupid. <laughs> but I thought, well, I've already cost the agency $10,000 a week oh ago. I didn't want to do it again. <laughs> oh my gosh. And how old were you? Oh my gosh. I was young. I was probably 26. Oh my yeah. gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's such a funny, a funny time too, because we're kind of full of ourselves, yeah. you know? And then yet we also have this thing like, well, wait, am I right? Wait, you yeah. know, I mean, it's this, oh my goodness. That's a but people deal, with right? imposter wow. syndrome, people with imposter yeah. syndrome, you know, that, that first time around a clear mistake, I didn't know what I was looking at. It was a fluke. That second time around a person with imposter syndrome wouldn't have spoken up. I don't know why I did because I'd still, I did struggle with it back then. Uh -huh. I think I was so terrified. I think the thought of, you know, co it costing another $10,000 was yeah. worse than me feeling stupid. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, that's a cool thing. And, and you know, something for another time would be super fun to talk about. <clears throat> uh, Maureen Zappala, the NASA rocket scientist and what that experience <laughs> was like. And we'd love to hear, I'm sure, about that. So yeah, a highlight of my life. I loved it. I bet. I bet. And I love your new materials now. You've got you standing outside of the NASA. Um, is it the laboratory? In, oh, it's in the outside, Ohio? Yeah, the, I worked it was the NASA Lewis Research Center in Cleveland. It's been renamed now to the Glenn uh, NASA Glenn Center. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's in Cleveland. That's where I worked. Um, I don't work there anymore, but yeah. it makes for great marketing PR stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's great. I was excited to interview a rocket scientist. That's just kind of a cool thing. So. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So back to uh, imposter syndrome. All right. We talked about the symptoms and the effects that it has on uh, employees and managers, people of different levels. And, and you um, obviously have some steps that you can share with us to how we overcome that. What would those be? Yeah. When I teach and train about it, I, I identify uh, five main steps and I'll briefly go over them. The first step is basically uh, to, to recognize it and that's to know the symptoms. So I just went through all the symptoms. The second step then is now that you know the symptoms, um, 
here's how to quickly reverse it. And you reverse it with a three-step process, a thought change process that is drawn straight out of the pages of psychology. You know, and I, mm-hmm. I like I said, I'm not a psychologist. Don't even uh-huh. play one on TV. <laughs> Read a lot of books about it. But it's, it's you know, a very uh, layman's edition of cognitive behavior therapy, which uh-huh. in my, and this is in, you know, the Maureen translation is you, you, you capture a thought, you cross-examine the thought, and then you counteract on that thought. Okay, so when yeah. you, you capture the thought, and that's by knowing you know, you know, the symptoms that suddenly now you can recognize a symptom like, oh, there I go. I am procrastinating yeah. um, or up oh, there I go. I'm trying to add charm because I don't know what the heck they're talking about. So you capture that thought and then you cross examine all of the, the reasons why you feel compelled to uh, to have that thought. Like, is it really true that silence is stupid? Well, no, it's not. You know, I don't right. think I don't think silent people are stupid. Why would they think I am? And if they do uh-huh. think I'm stupid, that's more on them, not me. <laughs> gotcha. You know, uh, why, right. oh, why am I, why am I, um, why do I fear success? Why do I fear, why do I have weird issues about money? So you evaluate the evidence that supports uh, the conclusions that you have from whatever thought that you have and determine whether it's true or not. Like, well, mm-hmm. I guess, it, I guess I really do deserve to be compensated for my work. Um, this, okay, here's a good example. This book that I wrote about Ohio State football uh, uh-huh. with my friend Jack Park. I didn't go to Ohio State. I went to Notre Dame. And when he asked me to write the book with him, um, I had many thoughts. <laughs> the first thought I thought was, he's smoking crack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's, he's crazy. 80, he's like 70 something years old. I don't think he knows what crack is. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so no, he's not smoking crack. Uh, then I thought, I, I can't write about Ohio State. I didn't go to Ohio State. Well, then I had to think, is, is it necessary to go to Ohio State? Well, no. Do I have to be an expert on Ohio State? No, he is. Um, what would my friends at Notre Dame say if I wrote a book? Well, it doesn't matter. People flip college loyalty all the time. Um, the <laughs> former head coach at Ohio State used to coach at Notre Dame. So if they had an issue with me, they got a bigger issue with Urban Meyer. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so that's dumb. <laughs> Um, then I thought, well, maybe Jack's just asking, you know, asking me to do it because he's being nice. And I thought, well, that's dumb. This is a man who has built a reputation as a, as an Ohio State historian. He's a resource for ESPN. He's a beloved and revered radio personality. Why would he risk all that just to be nice to me? That didn't make any sense. So, you know, I kind of poo-pooed all of those stupid thoughts that I had. Mm-hmm. And then the third step is to just act uh, decisively, act, you know, counteract the the thought. And so I was like, okay, well, let's write the book. And yeah, it was, I, I was, I was in over my head at times, but I brought different skills to the project. I'm a great researcher. I'm a great writer. I'm very creative. Uh-huh. Um, so I, he was hiring you for your other skills. We were partnering. Were... We weren't, he wasn't hiring me. We partnered oh, together. You... Yeah, oh, it was a 50, 50 okay. partner. He brought his stories and I brought my writing skills. Yeah. Um, he's, you know, he's very much a, a sports journalist and I'm a better storyteller. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those two skills, it, it just was a great match. And um, so, you know, so you, you capture the thought, you cross-examine the thought, and then you counteract against the, yeah. um, the, the lies of that thought. 
Yep. That's exactly what I talk about too, is uncovering the lies. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then recover the truth about it. And I I tell people simply the truth can simply just be the opposite. Yes. Yes. Just the opposite. No, I am smart enough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, because it's a, you know, you're going against a lifetime of erroneous thinking. It's not really a once and done kind of thing. Right. Keep doing it. So my sure. third step is, how do you repel it when it comes back? How do you, um, you know, uh, uh, how do you, uh, what's the right word, uh, shore up what you did, the hard work that you did when you, you know, in, in step two. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's, it's as simple as believing your own press. And when I say that, I talk about, um, you know, thank you notes you've gotten, articles written about you, awards you've gotten, degrees, certifications, mm, uh, uh-huh. commendations, uh, um, anything that confirms that you did a good job and choose to believe it because the opposite of choosing to believe it is thinking that they made a mistake in doing it. And that's yeah. diminishing them, yes. not you. That's calling them stupid. That's calling them a liar. That's calling them um, fake and phony. And that is, that's not, that certainly I'm sure that's what, not what most of us want. Yeah. We have to decide what we're going to focus on. Are we going to focus on that negativity, which brings us down and makes us feel terrible about who we are and what we can do? Or are we going to focus on something that's positive that lifts us up and makes us feel good? And believing what people say about us. Yes. I mean, that's the, that's the key part. Well, it is hard because, because it, it, at some level, you know, everything we do, we do to accomplish something for us, not always positive, but it's, it's comfortable and it's familiar. That's true. That's so true. Yeah. So if, if it's comfortable for you to be safe and small, then yeah, you're going to discount what people say about you that are meant to lift you up that right. you have to, you have to wrestle with that. It's yeah, like, for sure. I did the work. I earned the praise. I'm going to accept the praise. Mm. There's, it's no character flaw in accepting an award or, you know, receiving a compliment too. Oftentimes people will give us a compliment and we'll just dismiss it with a, yeah, but, or it's only, or it's, oh, it was nothing. Or it's like, oh, you look nice today, Maureen. Oh, this, oh my gosh, I've had oh, this, this for 20 thing. years. Right, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, is that like- relevant? You just yeah. totally dissed their gift that they gave you. Can't That's you just simply right. say, thank you and take yes. it even a step further and say, wow, thank you. I get a lot of compliments on this. And that makes somebody feel good. They're like, yes, I got it right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. That's so true. Yeah. Good stuff. And then another uh, strategy is, um, you know, th- th- those two strategies are really very much internal, like what's going on in your head. Yeah. Um, the, the fourth strategy is very much external and how do you interact with others? And this is key because um, we think we know less than what people think we know, but what we don't realize is that everybody else is thinking exactly the same thing about themselves. Say that again. We think we know less than what? We think, basically, we think we're not as smart as what everybody thinks we are. Oh. And everybody thinks the same thing about themselves. And that's the great equalizer. Really, nobody knows. We, are, we know different information and we came about it from different ways and we have different experiences and different opinions and mm-hmm. conclusions, but nobody's 
expertise or experiences are any uh, better or worse than anybody else's. Mm. And that alone, I've found, gives a lot of people um, a relief from this pressure because they think, wow, I'm, I'm not alone. You mean even she struggles with it? Right. Or even he struggles with it. And then partnering with that is to know rock solid down to your core what it is that you really are good at. Mm. And, it, and it is not prideful to admit, I know I am a, I'm a really good speaker. I know I'm really good on stage. Now, I'm not the best. That doesn't matter. I'm really good. Yeah. I know that I'm a good decorator. I have a great <laughs> sense of style. I'm a great conversationalist. Those are all my you know, my ninja skills, my little, you know, my secret strengths. Um, we all have them. Mm -hmm. We have to value them, own them, and love them without the temptation of comparing it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. That's, of course, that second part is the hard part. <laughs> right, for sure. Not comparing it to somebody, oh, but theirs is better than mine, or yeah. they did a better decorating job than I yeah. did. Or <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're smarter than me because of whatever. Yeah. yeah. All right. So those five steps. Well, that was four. The last step is very simple. Uh, it's got almost a spiritual aspect or a very um, uh, otherworldly kind of aspect. And it's not, I'm, I mean, I'm a church person. I'm certainly, I certainly know people that not everybody is, but knowing to your core what your values and what your um principles are what you're willing to go to the mat for what you're willing to walk away from um, what your core beliefs are will go so far to help you be solidified in the um, you know the previous step which is knowing what your worth and value is knowing your worth and your value and going to the yeah just knowing that. rock solid what you what you stand for you know, gotcha. the, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. <laughs> if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. Yeah, I don't know that I've heard that before. Oh, that's a, okay. That's interesting. Okay, good. Wow. Well, this has been a wealth of knowledge. You've given us, you know, shared exactly what imposter syndrome is and uh, the symptoms, what the effects it has, and the steps in overcoming that, which I think that's you know, that's what we're always looking for. It's like, okay, yeah, I got that. Your hand's up. <laughs> now what do I do? Right. Mm -hmm. And so reviewing that, I think is so important, recognizing those symptoms and uh, knowing that you can change your thought process through mm -hmm. some cognitive behavioral stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then knowing how to repel it when it happens in the future by acknowledging uh, accolades that you've gotten from others mm -hmm. and um, also how you interact with others. That was step number four, um, knowing that you, what you do, uh, what you represent and what you, what you do is good and you're good at it. Mm -hmm. And then that last one is just to know the core of who you are, your values and your principles. Mm -hmm. Very good practical steps. Do you have anything in closing that you would like to, um, uh, tell our speakers, I'm going to uh, maybe, uh, of course, we want to know how they could get in touch with you if they were interested in hiring you for a workshop or to speak with their, um, their teams, their executives, whoever they might see fit, mm -hmm. or even as a coach in some way, how can people get in touch with you? And is there any summary or anything else you'd like to add to our conversation? Yeah, just in closing, um, you know, the, the 
probably the, the biggest thing that we can do if we're struggling with imposter syndrome is, is, as I said before, is just realize you're not alone. You know, 70 to 70 to 75% of the population struggles with it. The other, you know, 30 to 25% don't know that they struggle with it because they don't know that it has a name and they think that they are all alone. (laughs) Right. right. And they don't want to admit it. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not even, they don't want to admit it. They don't know that they can admit it. They just think it's me. I'm weird. Everybody else is normal. (laughs) Normal is just a setting on my dryer which is the topic of a very funny book by, uh, I think, Liz Curtis Higgs. I can't remember. But yeah, anyway, I've heard of that book. <laughs> it's very funny. Great one. Yeah. Um, so just realize it's not alone. Uh, and yet there is a way out. And, you know, the strategies do take time and effort and intention, but they work. They're powerful. And I've mm-hmm. seen it work in my own life and in many other people that I've worked with. You know, and I think that you, you bring up a good point to be intentional. And yeah. once we identify something, then we can definitely set down our intention of how we're going to manage through that Yeah, and to be mm-hmm. consistent and stay with it. That's what helps us get past these things like yeah. imposter syndrome. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So if somebody wants to get in touch with you, Maureen, I'll put your, um, I'll put your website and your contact information, of course, in the comments section sure. on the podcast. Why don't you tell us too what that is? Sure. My website site is Maureen Z, letter Z.com. So it's M-A-U-R-E-E-N-Z.com. And uh, I'm also very active on social media on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, not so much Twitter, mostly Twitter is my football hangout. And um, I actually mm-hmm. haven't had much time this year, this season to tweet for football. Um, yeah, you've but, been busy, busy. Yeah, love my college football. But, but yeah, I know they, you do. You are a big college fan. <laughs> I, but you know, I, I grew up in Nebraska, and so oh, we, I was a big Cornhusker. Okay, did you yeah. know that about me? No, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, maybe yeah, I, I did. Maybe Cornhusker. I did, and I forgot. Okay. <laughs> well, if we would, you know, I love Nebraska because I on Saturday morning, like football was on every station, yes, yes. in every store where you went, and it yes. was just everybody wore, you know, red and white. Yep. It was this 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 uh, statewide connection and yeah. I loved it yeah it is it's so much it's, fun it yeah. is very fun for sure yeah um, for but sure. I also okay another way people can kind of track with me is that I just launched my own podcast the end of October yes um, you did it's called no doubt allowed and it. it's uh, it's a combination of solo episodes of just me and then a few um, interview episodes in fact I just launched my first interview episode today Oh, awesome. With, Who do yeah. you have on that? Her name is Rihanna Milne. She is a, um, a therapist slash coach who specializes in childhood trauma. And oh. her content was so powerful because so much of our imposter syndrome experiences are rooted in how we were raised. That's only part of it. It, it comes mm-hmm. from many sources, but it also mm-hmm. comes from our childhood. Absolutely. So she had some great insights. Mm, that's awesome. That's just great. Yeah, I love the title of your podcast. It's great. And your your picture your daughter did is or the cover is Yeah, phenomenal. my daughter's a graphic designer, so it's nice yeah. having my in home my in-house designer staff. <laughs> yeah, she's so talented. Well, I, Maureen, I just want to thank you for uh getting on this podcast with us today. It's been a wealth of knowledge you've shared here. Well, I hope it was I hope your your leader your your, your listeners liked it. I hope it was fun. I had a great time. I always have a great time talking to you, Deb. So. Yeah, ditto, ditto. Good. Yeah, and you know, when we tie it into the goodbye past, 
<clears throat> excuse me, you can say goodbye to yep. that imposter syndrome because now you have a definition for it. You know what it is. Yes. You can identify it and you have the steps to recover that. So you can say hello to my self-confidence, yep. hello to who I really am. And, and uh, it's actually, it's actually life. one of the exercises that I do in the workshop is that I have people describe, I have a series of questions that they ask <clears throat> that I ask them in their current imposter state. And then I have them answer the same questions in their future non-imposter state. So they say, good- they do great. in a sense, they say goodbye to their past and hello to their purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, that's perfect. Wow. What a great, great workshop. Something that lots of people I know could benefit from and companies too, to get that bottom line up. So yes. Stuff. <laughs> well, thanks again, Maureen. We appreciate having you. It was a delight to chat with you and we uh, look forward to be sure to join us again for our next podcast. Uh, all the listeners out there, thank you again and goodbye for today. Bye, Deb. Thank you. Hey, thanks for stopping by today. Make sure you subscribe to our show. And if you liked this episode, please leave me a review so that we can continue to bring good quality guests. If you want more from me, just go to goodbyepast.com and you'll find wisdom, tools, and inspiration to help you say goodbye to your past and hello to purpose. Join us again next week for more tips and insights that help you get through life's challenges.